Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our Director of Spiritual Formation, Marjorie Mott. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Amalek, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Amalek. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and clean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and wherever you are thir- whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you have left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking so kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in wine vinegar. She sat down with the harvesters. He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some socks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleamed in the fields until evening. Then she threshed the barley that she had gathered and it amounted to an epaph. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Ruth also brought out and gave to her what was left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, 
That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman who worked for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat and harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. All right. So we're going to focus on chapter two here in the story of Ruth. And I'm going to break down how Ruth and ultimately God has an active and loyal love that goes beyond expectation. But first, I have a little story. I would call this person not even a friend, but maybe an acquaintance, somebody I'm getting to know, somebody who does my hair, okay? So I only see her every once in a while. And she started telling me about an experience she had with her 11-year-old daughter recently. Now, remember, 11 is that stage where you start thinking you're so cool, but you're not quite a teenager. And she ended up finding some inappropriate things on her daughter's phone, this 11-year-old. I needed to have a conversation with her. She ended up telling me about this, not, not a whole lot, but that she confronted her. Um, this acquaintance of mine said, oh, they're stupid inappropriate kid things, you know, but she chose an active approach to, to approach her daughter and talk to her. I'm not hundred percent sure how the conversation went, but I do know at the end of it, the mother said, can I just hold my baby? You know, the sentiment that they grow up so fast, right? And she just said, can I hold my baby? And I know I don't know everything about what the daughter felt, but I know that she willingly said yes. And she got into her mother's arms for a big embrace. And just let her mother hold her. And I'm going to come back to that story at the end. So let's jump into Ruth here. So for those who weren't here last week or maybe haven't like looked at the story for a while, let me give you an overview of chapter one. Um, the story opens with tragedy based on the family of Naomi and um, her husband and their sons and daughter-in-laws. Her and her two sons and husband move from Judah, they're Jewish people who move to Moab and just experience heartache. She loses her husband, Elimelech, and then her two sons. And she's left with these two daughters. And so the story opens up on the scene of her having a conversation with them that you should go back to your families, you know, letting them go, freeing them from any obligation to stick with her. And one of them goes, Orpah goes, and Ruth remains. And we get that well-known famous quote of, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. And that's what Ruth has to say to Naomi when she tries to send her back. She says, no, I will remain with you. And so they travel back to Judah. And chapter two is them there. And they have to figure out how to survive. Not just how to make it, but how to figure out what they're going to eat that day, the next day. And we see how Ruth takes initiative. She doesn't wait for Naomi to take the lead, but she takes the initiative, even though now she is a foreigner. And she comes to her with the plan to glean. 
So let me tell you what gleaning is for those who have maybe forgotten. Gleaning is those who would come after the harvesters to pick up whatever grain was left over. It was actually the welfare system for the time. God set this up on purpose. Um, by the law, uh, he said that they could not, the harvesters could not harvest to the borders or pick up what was left after reapers went through, aka gleaning. And so Deuteronomy, we see that specifically. Um, you can pull that up, Maureen. Chapter 24, verse 19, it says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand. Ruth fits all three of those, the foreigner in a fatherless place and the widow. This law was meant to give them some way, give these women some way to provide for themselves, right? Remember, we're in a patriarchal society. They have no husbands, brothers, sons to provide for them. So this is their only way to survive, is to go and pick up these grains that are left over. This chapter reminds us that this is dangerous. It's dangerous because of being a patriarchal society, that she's a woman on her own. Imagine the fields are probably not close to the center of the city. They're, she has to walk away. She has to, where there's less people, right? So less safety. Ruth is the lowest level economically and socially. She's not just a foreigner. She's a foreigner that the Jew, Jewish people despise. Right? She's a Moabite. And we know two times that it's said in the chapter that, the, that she's doing something dangerous. When Boaz is talking to his men, or to her, and says that he's told them not to lay a hand on her. And at the end of chapter two, when Naomi reminds Ruth that in someone else's field, you could be harmed. Folks, Ruth willingly chose to do this, took the initiative to do this, knowing that she was risking being beaten and raped. But she takes initiative. She comes to Naomi with a plan. We also see in this conversation from the servant and Boaz that she asked permission for something that was legally her right. We're not 100% sure why she did that. Was it perhaps because she didn't have a good understanding of the political law? Does she have that legal right? Or was it to take that one step further of initiation, of initiative, sorry. And we see that Ruth was working hard. And because of this, she finds favor with Boaz. Chapter two actually opens with introducing Boaz. We see that he's a family member. He's a family member through Elimelech. That's Naomi's husband, Ruth's father-in-law. And again, this is a big deal because of the patriarchal system. That is a family member through the father's line. So it actually means something. Verse 1 says he was a man of standing. That tells us that he was probably wealthy, that he was a person of influence had moral integrity. He perhaps actually was a military leader and had that kind of power and recognition in the town. Later in the chapter, Naomi calls him a guardian redeemer or close kin. And Naomi is 
recognizing broadly that he is someone who acts to deliver a member of the family. But remember, Ruth doesn't know this until the end. Naomi is the one that tells her it's a family connection. We, the readers, though, have are cued in early on. So Ruth receives Boaz's favor, and we see that in a few ways. One, that she's invited to stay with the women who work for him, to stick with them, so that it's safer for her. That he tells, again, the men not to lay a hand on her. That he gives her lunch, a meal that's so much more than for herself that she has some left over to take home to Naomi. And that when she goes home, she has so much more than she expected or what Naomi expected. So much more than she would have gotten otherwise if it weren't for Boaz showing this favor. And Naomi is shocked when Ruth returns and she has all these questions. Well, where did you clean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Verse 20. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. I want to break from the story of Ruth to explain the Hebrew word hesed, because it is a central word and theme to this book. It is used over 200 times in the Old Testament, referring to God, describing God. It's used three times in the book of Ruth. Remember, Ruth is four chapters, so that's a big deal. Hesed is translated as devoted, faithful, and unchanging love, or as we just saw, kindness. The hesed is so much bigger. Our English words are too small for it. The definition I'm using tonight is that hesed is an active and loyal love that goes beyond expectations. I read multiple commentaries and quotes about hesed, but I'm going to give you two here. But they break down these two parts of this definition that is active and loyal and that goes beyond expectations. So Sakenfeld said, has said refers to care and concern for another with whom one is in relationship. But care that specifically takes shape and action to rescue another from a situation of des desperate need and under circumstances in which the rescuer is uniquely qualified to do what is needed. It's active. Hesed is a rescue mission. Carolyn Custis James, who has not just one book on Ruth, but two, wrote, Hesed is a costly brand of love that involves going above and beyond what anyone has a right to ask or expect. It is an active and loyal love that goes beyond expectations. Remember Orpa? She didn't do anything wrong in returning to her parents and staying in Moab. It's just that Ruth went beyond. She went beyond the expectations by offering a deeper love and a deeper loyalty. So this is a story of God's hesed through Ruth, through Ruth's giving of hesed. Smith and Fowl say, Hesed often requires human agency in order to be manifested in the world. God used Ruth to show Naomi his active and loyal love that goes beyond expectations. 
So hesed is used three times in the book of Ruth. The first in chapter one, when Naomi parts with the daughter-in-laws and she says, may the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husband and to me. This is about God's hesed and the hesed of the daughter-in-laws. And then Naomi again says it, the Lord bless him when Ruth brings gleanings home here in verse 20. This is God and Boaz's hesed. And then it is used a third time in chapter three as Boaz describes Ruth's actions. So let's get back to the story of Ruth. Naomi says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living or the dead. So who is Ruth talking about? Who's the he? Is it God or Boaz? Or is it both? I love to think that it's both, that she is praising both God and Boaz's has said their active and loyal love that goes beyond expectations. But you know, Boaz isn't the hero of this story. He chooses to use his wealth and power for good, but it's all because Ruth took initiative to show up in the field. Ruth is the hero. She is the Jesus character in this redemptive analogy. Ruth gives an active and loyal love that goes beyond expectations. She left her people. She left provision and moved to a foreign land. She risked her own safety for the sake of Naomi. She basically went out into the wilderness to save her people, Naomi. But Ruth isn't even the central character. God is. Because Ruth is demonstrating God's chesed. God uses humans to demonstrate his active and loyal love to the world. So the story begins with Naomi empty, bitter, alone, and desolate. And it ends with her full, joyful, and with a new family. This story is meant to cultivate hope. Hope that God's active and loyal love will be present even when we can't see it. To cultivate hope in us, to get us on the lookout for his presence. We see how Naomi cultivated this discernment of God's working in verse 20 when she praises God for Boaz's favor. But even when Naomi can't see God's presence and love, we the readers see it. God has set into motion Naomi's deliverance even before Naomi knew of her need. By bringing Ruth into the family. Friends, this story is not dead. This story is for you. It is a hope for you. Even though you may not see it, God has already set into motion your deliverance. Deliverance from your pain and your heartbreak, your struggle and your temptations. It's like we read earlier in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of this sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God's active and loyal love is wherever we go. 
in whatever we're facing, in whatever decisions we're making, God is present. You will not be left empty or alone or desolate. If you welcome it, your story can also end with joy and fullness and the longing to the family of God. But this isn't just a, there isn't just good news for those who are hurting. I want to tell you about another role of Hesed. I've been reading a book that combines neuroscience and theology based on the teachings of Dallas Willard and Jim Wilder. And it's actually all about Hesed. And they define it as God's loving attachment. And remember, attachment is connection. It's the process of relating to another human being. So you can have secure attachment, insecure attachment, and it's all based on who you're raised by. Attachment theory begins, we, we learn how to connect to people according to how our caregivers connected to us when we were a baby. So for those who want to experience emotional and spiritual growth, for those who want a transformed character, listen to this. The only kind of love that helps the brain learn better character is attachment love. The brain functions that determine our character are most profoundly shaped by who we love. So change has more to do with who you love than what you know about God. It's not based on what you know or think about God, but about how you think with God. If you want to look more like God, then you need to get around people who look like him and love them. Neuroscience tells us there's no individual brain. Meaning you can't will yourself, you can't will your mind to change. But actually, to change, you have to be in a community and surrounded by others. And that's used for good and bad. But you will become more like the people you spend your time with. Neuroscience actually tells us this. I think all our moms have a hunch of this and told us this. But um, now brain science can actually tell us this. That you end up being like the people you're spending time with. So character development. Our growth, our emotional, spiritual growth, our deliverance from ourselves has more to do by who we love than what we know. Naomi had given up on God. She needed to see Ruth's expression of attachment love and active and loyal love that goes beyond expectation. She needed to receive that from Ruth in order to be able to receive it from God. The only way that Naomi learned how not to be bitter and to choose hope was because she loved Ruth. God has an active and loyal love for you, a love that goes beyond expectation. And it's not always miraculous. Sometimes it looks like a friend sharing their leftovers. But God uses others to demonstrate his love. As Ruth demonstrated God's love to Naomi, the love we give each other here in the church is a big deal. 
And you should never think, oh, of course they love me. You know, kind of like you think, oh, of course my mom thinks I'm pretty. You know, or of course my parents love me. You should never think that about the church. Oh, are they supposed to love me? If you surrender to this love and you receive it from others and God, it can be a safe place for you to mess up, to grieve, and to be held. So back to my story of the 11-year-old girl. She didn't just crawl into her mother's arms for an embrace, but she stayed there long enough to fall asleep. That's beautiful. That's loving attachment. That's the kind of loving attachment that God has for you, for us. A place for you to feel so safe and loved that when you mess up and you're hurting, you can turn to him for comfort and rest. Church, may you know God's active and loyal love is love that goes beyond expectation. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.